that intro is awesome. I want that to happen like every morning. Um, so my name is Ryan, I'm the CTO of Aerospace Technologies, and I'm really stoked to be here talking about machine learning with you guys. Um, so I really think there's two common high-level machine learning talks that happen. One is the really pessimistic one, which is first it's gonna take your job, and then it's gonna kill us to stop climate change. And then there's the uh, really optimistic one, which is whenever the machines are done learning, whatever that means, uh, all of our problems just go away. You know, no disease, everything. I'm gonna try to steer clear of both those topics, and instead what I'm trying to convey is that machine learning is here. It is really, really awesome. The tools to make it happen are free, and if you're not using it at your company, there's a really, really good chance that you are just like wasting time and money. So um, everyone kind of knows what this curve is. This is the Gardner hype cycle. Uh, everyone's seen this before, more or less. Uh, the expectations are on the y-axis, time is on the x, and it says that we tend to get really, really excited about new technology, think blockchain, and then when it doesn't solve all of our problems, uh, we go through this trough of disillusionment, uh, and that's, you know, think blockchain, right? And then eventually, you hit this plateau of productivity. You figure out what the tech is really good at, and, um, and you start using it for those things. Now, I'm gonna say that machine learning is so far to the right that this is a very zoomed-in uh, chart. Machine learning is way to the right, and I think it's the only tech that has ever gotten to this place. So if you just keep cruising to the right on this chart, you'll get to a spot where Microsoft will actually hire celebrities to talk about how cool the technology is. So everyone's seen this commercial, that's Common, the rapper and actor, who's talking about the future of AI, you know? So, uh, who am I? Um, like I said, I'm the CTO of a company called Airspace Technologies. We're a time-critical freight forwarder based in San Diego, California. Uh, I spent most of my career writing software in the federal space, and uh, I have my master's in something called human-computer interaction from Carnegie Mellon. I joke that is like how you, it's, it's really just how you don't write bad software. And then there's a fire truck because not all my projects work out. Um, one time, one of my projects resulted in five ladder trucks showing up at my house. Um, and then uh, the internet probably knows me as this guy. Like, I made a robot that shoots you beer. So, like, there's an iPhone app, and you can pick what beer you want, and it'll vend it out of the fridge into an air cannon, and it'll fire it across the room. So this is from the Best Buy Christmas campaign, where they picked that up, and that's my actual mom. So, um, so what are we going to do in the next 18 minutes? We're going to do a quick primer on machine learning, what it is and why it matters. Uh, we're going to talk about the problems at solving logistics, how we solve those at airspace, and then the effects that those have on company metrics, because that's what matters. So machine learning primer. Um, to me, machine learning is best described as programming backwards. If you were to ask me to build you an application that you pass me the gender of a user, and I'm gonna recommend an ad to them, cool. I will say, okay, if it's a guy, then I'm gonna recommend like a sports ad something like that. And then I would also, if it's a female, I'd make some really misogynistic decision, and I would say, if it's a female, then I'm gonna recommend shoes, right? Something like that. So if this, then this kind of classic logic, and algorithms get really, really big and complex, and that's how almost all programs are made, machine learning is different. The algorithms are kind of dumb. They are very generalized, and um, it's the data that really matters. So this isn't gonna shock anybody, but the Google Play, the way Google recommends apps to you, the apps you might like, is really similar to the way Netflix recommends movies. Now, that's like not really crazy, just train on different data sets. What's even crazier, though, is that at Airspace Technologies, we route time-critical shipments all over the world. We use an almost identical algorithm to this. 
So very, very different. One is trained on shipment data, another is trained on movies, and another is trained on applications. So uh, for this purpose, we're gonna talk about two kinds of neural networks. Machine learning is a really big topic, but we'll focus on neural networks because these are probably the most exciting parts of machine learning. It's what deep learning is built on top of. The two are classification and prediction, two different purposes. Uh, the first one, prediction. So if we want to predict a value on a line, a continuous value, uh, housing prices is a great way to talk about this. So you can imagine an Excel spreadsheet full of housing data, size, bedrooms, zip code, wealth, and price. And as you pass these into the network, the machine's gonna look at the values on the left, and it's gonna try to predict the price on the right. And the first house it's gonna look at, it's gonna be wildly wrong, really, really wrong. But then it's gonna look at the second one and get a little better, because it's constantly updating itself. And it'll be better and better and better and better until this thing is very, very, um, I mean, almost unreasonably accurate. And uh, you can see in the top right, the way the network learns is it kind of infers values from some of the parameters. So size in bedrooms is really an analog for family size. Uh, wealth and zip code is really an analog for um, school quality. And because it can infer all this out of the data, it gets very, very accurate. So you'll hear, you'll see more of this in the classification um, neural network. So classification, dogs versus cats. Um, forever, humans have always been good at this. This is just easy for us, you know? If I show you a cat or a dog, you know exactly what it is. Computers have always been bad at this. They are so bad at this. And uh, for a long time, it was barely better than a coin flip. And then machine learning came around, and now it's 99.9% .9 accurate. It's completely amazing. Um, so how it works is this. This is what a neural network kind of looks like. You're gonna take those parameters on the left. It's gonna do all this kind of black box functionality in the middle, and then it's gonna output a single value, cat or dog, right? I'll show you how this kind of works. This is a more accurate representation of what you would see. So parameters on the left, uh, in this case, it'd be an array of pixels that is, uh, represents an image. And on the, out, on the left side, it'll, or on the far side, it'll be the value, you know, cat or dog. So the first layer is gonna just notice shapes, like edges, shadows, lines, and then it's gonna take that data, it's gonna pass it to the next one. And this is really like how deep learning works. It's gonna then infer something more complex, like ears, noses, eyes, things like that. And it's gonna take that data, it's gonna pass it to the next one. And then it's gonna get like a whole dog's face. And then finally it's gonna output dog. And you do that over and over and over, and that's how these things learn. So why not do both? And the reason is we do do both all the time. So self-driving cars uh, is a good example of models that, that work together. So you've got a classifier that's taking an image and figuring out everything that's inside of it, and then you've got a predictor that says, okay, where do I need to be in relation to all those things? So what if you don't have the data? Um, this is like one of the last talks of the day. So as soon as this ends, call your IT guys and say, what data do we collect? What's in our data warehouse? What's our data strategy? What can we do? Because the data you're not collecting now is not gonna help you tomorrow if you just all of a sudden start to have a machine learning strategy. So find out what that is. Google, of course, did Google things to get around that, though. This is their army, which is incredibly foreboding. Um, but what it is, it's a, it's a room full of arms that are just constantly trying to pick up things because they're trying to train the robot to pick up arbitrary-sized objects. Um, and it was taking too long. It takes kind of a while to pick something up and drop it, pick something up. So they instead wrote a simulation based on the real world conditions that they ran thousands and thousands of times or millions of times and got it really, really good. Then they took that model and then they put it in the robot and the robot was orders of magnitude better and ahead. And then it could kind of fine tune things based on the real world. 
And the reason I bring that up is because at Airspace, I'm not even kidding, we almost wrote a game, like a freight forwarding game, that our operations team could play so that we could figure out how they route freight to customer preference. That probably never would be number one in the App Store, but uh, we would have gotten the data that we needed. So, so machine learning for time critical shipping. Um, in order to really uh, talk about this, I need to rewind to 2015. Uh, I was in DC writing software for the government. DC is uh, both too hot and too cold at the same time. The metro was on fire. I was ready to leave. And I met this guy named Nick Balkeo in uh, San Diego. And he had this idea. He was running a, uh, a time-critical courier. And his idea was like, if we just categorize every single service failure, we can then kind of walk down this list and wrap every single error with tech and make the fastest, safest forwarder that's ever been, and hopefully the most profitable forwarder. Um, so, so what kind of things are we shipping? We wanted to solve all these problems with tech. And the space that makes the most sense, the space where errors hurt the most is time critical. Anything with a delivery window within 24 hours. So these are parts for downed aircraft, losing 100 grand an hour, um, organs for transplant. And um, you know, for us, when it's, an, when it's an organ, if we can get there two hours faster, that might result in the person living for two more years. Because the longer that organ's outside of someone's body, it's not going to last as long in the recipient. So this is very high pressure, but that's why we're spending so much time writing tech around this problem. So for us, we always say this, time equals life. I always tell the story of the surgeon who gets their QDT of 8 PM, and so they knock the person out with anesthesia at 7.45. 8 o'clock comes, and there's no organ. It's a huge problem, and that just does not need to happen in 2015. That's what we're trying to solve. So um, I'm kind of naive. I'm a tech guy, you know? So I thought that 99.9% .9 on time was like what the industry standard was. IATA disagrees. Uh, it's one in three are delayed. And like I said, that just does not have to happen. Um, so there's two major problems that we're going to solve just to keep this in scope. We use machine learning for like almost everything at airspace. But we're going to talk about two problems that we solve specifically. The first is quoting. Quoting is super hard. And one thing that makes airspace different is we insist that every single order that comes in gets first routed and quoted by a machine. We insist upon that for a lot of reasons. And the first reason is because it's truly a skill sport. It's really, really, really difficult. And I'll show you why this is so hard. So this is from a paper in 2003, the ITA software paper. If you haven't read this, please do it. It's awesome. Um, so this has got even more complex. Um, looking at this, it's pretty hard to assess any sort of risk factor. Um, so let's make it simple. Um, these are all the flights between San Francisco and Boston for same day with two hops. It's a lot. And if you're a person, especially if you're new to the industry, the odds of you finding the most aggressive flight possible to potentially save someone's life, but also with the lowest risk, it's very, very difficult. Um, so I'll kind of show you what I mean. This is just domestic. Um, for anyone that's international, which is probably a lot of us, this is even harder. So um, this is really like where the wheels start to fall off here. Um, so like we said, between San Francisco and Boston, there's 10,000 possible combinations. If you were to extend that to the next, a next day service offering, there's over a billion routes. It, over, it, square, it more than squares. That's crazy. And a machine can check a billion, but really people can't. So this is a job that is, that is just truly uh, optimized for a machine. 
even crazier is when you factor in international where maybe you'll have like five different hops, like five connection points, there's over a quadrillion possibilities. A quadrillion. And at that point, like, not even a machine can look at all of those things. So if you're not using machine learning as an international freight forwarder, then you're actually not finding a true optimum in terms of uh, path. So the other thing is um, machines respond immediately. Uh, we really do a lot of air freight, and air freight is a step function. So if I get to the airport 20 minutes early, that might result in four hours of QDT. That's amazing. Uh, the other reason is, you know, we all need to talk to each other. All of our systems need to talk to each other. And um, if you're having a human do all the operational components, then you can't respond immediately. So now for freight forwarders can actually API to us. They'll say, what's the fastest way to go from here to London? And we'll respond in like a half second with a price and a path and a time, you know? Um, and, you know, I think sometimes people think, hey, freight forwarders don't need to talk to each other. That's not true, because if that was true, then we wouldn't spend so much time working with EDI, which is a horrible piece of technology. But we do. Um, and three, let people focus on what they're good at. Um, you know, there's a reason we didn't write a chat bot to solve customer service. When Chicago is frozen over and planes aren't taking off and your shippers are freaking out, have your people Talk to, the, talk to those people and say, we're on it, we're taking care of it. People are great at that and let them do that. Machines are great at other things. Let them do what they're great at. So how does our router route? This thing is a beast and it uses lots of little neural networks and it'll take two kind of arbitrary points on the globe and it'll find the optimal path using real world transportation. How does it do that? People, right? Everyone thought I was gonna say machine learning. But no, it's, it's truly with people. In the first couple years of airspace, we didn't have any of the data. And we also didn't have these really complex problems because we had less shippers. So now we've got shippers that have crazy, crazy um, you know, uh, needs, right? Uh, shipping organs on specific airlines, avoiding specific areas, avoiding specific cities. And it would result in tons of spaghetti code that just would not work. I, I can't write logic that makes that happen. But what I can do is I can take this team of just smart operators, people that can route freight anywhere in the world, and I can train a neural network on it. And then the machine, and here's a kind of a visualization of that, and then the machine will guess. It'll guess what the route should be. And then if it's right, cool, move forward, start finding a driver. If it's wrong, the, the human will correct it, and that's signal to the machine to get better. So it constantly gets better. So how do we know it's working? Um, this is like my favorite chart ever. Um, when we're using heuristics, you can see we we're kind of hovering around 66%. This is how often we guessed right with the neural network on the route on the first try. Um, and where'd we inject machine learning? Right there. Pretty captivating. So that's going from regular programming, really good code, to machine learning, huge impact. So second problem, dispatch. Um, now that we have the route, the best thing we could do is find a driver. This is a really hard problem though. So every single driver at Airspace carries the Airspace mobile app, and that's constantly streaming data. So this is what we would see on the back end, um, a driver driving from San Francisco down to San Jose. And uh, we actually stream this to the client as well, contrary to popular belief, in order to be transparent, like you don't need a blockchain, you can just do it, which is kind of great. Um, and this problem is very similar to the autonomous driving problem because it's not just one model that you can predict. These things have to work together. It's two problems. So one is effectively predicting the drive. 
So when we were raising venture, every single VC came up to me and said, you're just calling Google, right? You just call Google? And no, that's not true. And the reason is because Google is wrong. And it's not that they're wrong because they don't have the data. It's, it's because they're not trying to solve that problem. So if I just say, if I just pass through the Google drive time for someone in a 45-foot truck, it's going to be wrong. So what I can do instead is I can take all these data points on the past driver performance, past history, and I can pass that into a neural network. I can pass the Google Drive and traffic into a neural network. I'll pass the vehicle type into a neural network, and I'll get a much more accurate prediction of when that driver is going to arrive. The other thing you need to know is how efficient that driver is on site. So uh, this is a driver delivering something to a hospital. You know, this is their lat longs. And we can tell when they arrived, when they left, their efficiency, because the world's super, super complicated. And if you dispatch someone that's really close to a hospital that they've never been to before, and it takes them an hour to pick it up, your QDT is going to be threatened. So you have to account for this. So this allows us to do some pretty cool things when we put them together. So, um, and for anyone who thinks I'm sharing too much about how airspace works, our lawyers made us file this with our patent, so we're totally covered. Um, but this is uh, what it would look like to our system. So a new order just came in, and the pickup is that green cross right there. The radius is the range in which drivers will be considered. You can see the guy outside the range, not going to be considered. The guy at the top isn't certified to carry the commodity, so he's kicked out as well. The guy on the left uh, is on a different job, and we can use those models to measure if he can perform on both jobs. This says he can't, so he's kicked out. And now there's two left, one right next to the pickup and one a little farther away. Now, it would make sense if I was just a dispatcher, not working off all the information, I would choose the guy on site. But the machine is telling us he's actually very efficient, inefficient on site, and he's never been in that place before. So choose the other driver to have a much lower risk profile on this order. And this is actually a screenshot of an app we use to monitor our dispatch algorithm. And uh, it's the same kind of thing. So the neon green arrow is the pickup point. The red arrow is the drop-off point. The driver that has the tooltip on him right now, he uh, doesn't answer us all the time. He's not as reliable, so we don't consider him for this round. This guy is on another job. You can see it says predicted conflict, so it just completely skips him. This driver is perfect. This is the one we want, so we start offering him the job. This guy's really efficient on site. He's farther away, but he's so efficient on site, he's actually going to be able to deliver faster and pick up faster because of those efficiencies. He didn't pick up, so uh, we dispatch this guy instead. And this all happens automatically. While our people are talking, on, talking to customer service or talking to um, the shippers with this algorithm running in the background. And if it, if it can't you know, go on, then it'll, you know, someone will jump in. But meanwhile, it's working in the background. So even better is now that we've got this really smart model, uh, this model that can really accu accurately predict how long it'll take a driver to go from pickup to, um, or I guess get to pick up, do the things on site, and then finally to drop off, um, we can use that data. So that would be really handy to know when we're calculating a route. So now we take that data, pass that back into the router, and the router gets even better. So there's this compounding value. So those are two of the hardest problems in time-critical shipping, and they're solved, with all with machine learning. Um, so what are the key takeaways from, uh, from this talk? Um, capture more data. Like I said, this is the last talk, right? So after this, go grab a beer and then call your IT guy and say, hey, what's our strategy? What's our plan? Do we use machine learning? Can we use machine learning? Because all of our companies have problems that is ripe to solve. And then lastly, like, all the tech exists right now. This wasn't a presentation on, like, how great our, like, freight forwarding future is going to be. Uh, like I said, we use machine learning every single minute, every single day, 365. 
and I don't know where we'd be without it. Um, so um, I think go find the, the tools are free, so go find the people that know how to use them, hire them, and then let's bring uh, logistics just into the 21st century together. That's it, thank you very much.